Thank you, Mercy. Um, once again, Merry Christmas to all of you. It's great to have you join us this morning. Let me pray for us as we go um, into the sermon time. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is Word made flesh, that He's come uh, to this earth uh, where we could speak to Him and touch Him and hear Him. And we thank you that you're God who still speaks today. And we pray now that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our minds and our hearts, that our lives will be changed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, my friends, uh, my, my children are about to turn six, four, and one. One of the questions that I get asked uh, all the time is, why do you look so tired? <laughs> Um, it's because they're young, and you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, but one of the reasons why it's, uh, it's, it's tiring is because of the nighttime. Because nighttime, no toddler seems to go into nighttime without a fight. There seems like they, they need to put up a fight before they go to bed. Because darkness is scary. When you can't see things, your imagination uh, runs wild. Of course, this season of Advent leans into this idea of darkness, recognizing that the world is a dark place. It's wrecked with conflict and violence and wars and suffering and darkness. It recognizes grief out there, but it also recognizes that we carry around darkness in us, that there's silent, private griefs um, that we haven't been able to express to others. And so weak, but it's also a time of hope. So week by week, we don't just dwell in darkness, we light the light. One by one, we say there is someone who is coming, who will change the world, who will change us, who will change the world. We recognize that hope. And that middle candle says the Messiah is here. We have a Messiah. Our Savior is here. Uh, so today we light the candle, and on this Christmas Day, I just want you to take away three short messages, um, three uh, short takeaways. That one, Christmas means that we have a Savior, and that Christmas means that it's, it's not an escape from this world. That Christmas means this world, and our bodies, this, these bodies, and this world that we see will be saved. And that Christmas means an invitation to all of us to come to Him, to get to know Him, to fellowship with Him, to be loved by Him. So toddlers, in the middle of the night, when they get scared, they cry out to their parents. But what do adults do? When we are scared, what are we supposed to do? And let's face it, there are plenty of things to be scared of. There are people, here, uh, people today who fear dying because of bombing. There are those who fear what's happening in their marriage, in their deepest relationships, most cherished relationships. There are those who are scared of cancer, diseases, what's happening. There's, there are people who are scared of the uncertainties of the future uh, because of the political climate change, uncertainties of Hong Kong politics. So people work hard then to secure their own future. 
that they, they work hard to make their future better, and we should, because that's what it means to be made in God's image. God made us to be stewards of this world, to work like He does, and, and, and create this place where, where we can flourish. And that's why we're supposed to work, you know, get the, go through the medical research and scientific uh, advancements and, 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 and educate and make the world flourish, and we are supposed to do that. But if you're like me, you also get quite tired, don't you? I mean, sometimes I'm barely managing myself. I'm barely managing my family. Sometimes uh, we're just tired, and how are we then supposed to carry this burden of changing the world? But today, on Christmas Day, we are to remind ourselves that we are not our own saviors, but we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus, and He came to earth to save us. Remember what John said he was proclaiming. John doesn't proclaim a way of life. He doesn't say, I'm building a movement that you can be a part of that's going to change the world. He doesn't proclaim a message. What does he proclaim? He proclaims a person, a person, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked with our hands have touched, and our hands have touched. He proclaims the person of Jesus, God incarnate, to come, uh, who has come to, to save us. He calls this person, in verse 2, life. In fact, eternal life. It's Jesus whom we proclaim because ultimately, the salvation of the world doesn't depend on us. And that's also how Christianity is really different from all other religions, isn't it? Other religions teach you how to make yourself better how to make the world better, how to find inner peace, how to connect with God, the techniques or whatever, to build a movement of justice and righteousness. But Christianity does all of that as well, but at its heart, it's not about those other things. It's about Jesus. It's about the fact that God became a human being to do something that we cannot do by ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Whatever we do, the best that we can do won't be good enough. And we have seen that, you know, if you've been in Shatin Church throughout the Old Testament, uh, you know, whether it's Abraham or Moses or David, these great people who couldn't bring us to the promised land, who couldn't bring salvation to the world. But God had a plan, and all of the Old Testament was leading towards the coming of Jesus, our Savior. And all of the New Testament looks back to Jesus, our Savior, and shouts to the world, we have a God who saves. Come to Him that which we have seen and heard and have touched, come to Him because you are not alone in this world, but Jesus, our Savior, the light of the world has come. We have a Savior. That's what Christmas means. And Christmas means also the redemption of this world, this body, the world that we see. And just a few days ago, I got a text from a friend saying that his mom just had passed away. His mom had battled cancer for many, many years, actually, and he was just relieved that she was in a better place and that she was freed from suffering and pain. And our, our bodies are prone to diseases and sickness. You know, just down, downstairs, I uh, was setting something up, and I banged my finger, and it's got a little bruise. It hurts. <laughs> it bothers me even now. I <laughs> just thinking, you know, it, our bodies are weak. And our bodies aren't just weak. 
they're kind of embarrassing, right? Our bodies do many embarrassing things. Think about all the bodily indignities. But not only that, think about the sin ingrained in our bodies. Sin, it makes us sin. But 2,000 years ago, God took on a body. He became a fetus. He became bones and tissues and muscles and organs. He united himself to this physical body and made his home there and in the world, in this world, so we could see him and touch him and hear and be with him and have fellowship with him because he had a body, because he was a real person and not an idea out there. And we take that fact for granted. But friends, I mean, our Muslim friends and, and, and Jewish friends think that this is, this is um, it isn't right. They think that God is so holy. Jewish people think that God is so holy and transcendent that uh, that God becoming a human being is an idea that's not just undignified. They think it's blasphemous to speak of God in that way, that God could become these bodies. And you can see why. Why become this weak flesh? But that's what the Bible says. And that God has taken on flesh means that our bodies will be transformed That God has made his home in this world means that this world will be transformed. It will be changed forever. God didn't come here to help us to escape from this world. Once again, he came here and made his home here, taking on the flesh. Have you heard of the term one-way missionary? One-way missionaries. In the early 1900s, there were missionaries who embarked on these missionary journeys uh, out into the world. But the death rate, you know, back then was so high. Everything was treacherous. The journey was treacherous. Arriving there was treacherous. Diseases and all these things were so treacherous. And so often they expected to go but never expected to come back. And so some of these missionaries would pack their bags and things, not in a suitcase, but in a coffin, um, committing themselves to the place where they're going. They're so committed to adopting the new land and being there and making their new home there. An example of this is a guy named Paul Milne who went to this, a new Hebrides island of, of Australia's coast. It was a dangerous place there, but he lived there for 50 years and he died of natural causes there. And, and when he died, this is what was put on the tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, There was no darkness. That entire place had become Christian. One-way missionary. Friends, the second person of the Trinity didn't just move countries. He pierced this eternal and temporal divide. He came down. He didn't just adopt our languages and customs. He united himself in the frailty of our flesh so that our flesh could ultimately be glorified and changed forever. He didn't just do it for a while. He took it for eternity. He took on flesh for eternity. Imagine, Jesus still has a body now. You know, when he ascends into heaven, he doesn't just shed his flesh, right? He doesn't, his, his humanness does not go away. 
He rises. He, he disappears in a physical body. And Paul writes to Philippians that the one who took on our flesh will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The hope is that our bodies will be transformed into this glorious body like his glorious body. Now, Jesus still referred to as man Jesus Christ, for example, in 1 Timothy 2.5. Once again, I, you know, I recently visited somebody um, who was su- suffering from chronic illness. I don't know how much she understands. But whenever we pray, she cries. She cries. But I told her, I don't, once again, I don't know how much she understands, but I told her that her body, she, she, it, will, it will not always be like that. This will not be how she dies, how she ends, that Jesus will come and give her a new body that can speak, that can run, that, that can do things again, that her body will be transformed into a glorious new body. And that's what this means, God taking on flesh. It means that our bodies our, our, and this world will be transformed because God has made his home here in this world. We'll see the earth renewed. We'll see the glory of God covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Christmas means transformation, salvation, redemption of this world. But it also means, of course, an invitation to all of us, invitation to have this relationship with God. Why would God take on this flesh? Why would, go, why would God go through this indignity of becoming a, a, a body? Well, because He loves us. He created us. He existed before the creation of the world in love, in God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, they, he loved, uh, he existed in this relationship of love, and, and out of that overflow of love, he created us to be loved by him. He wanted to have, he wants to have this relationship with us. And when we cut him out of our lives, he pursued us becoming a human being so that we could have, we could be reconciled back to him. That's why Jesus grew up. That's why he went to the cross and died for our sins, so that this holy God could have fellowship with us. And that our God is personal and relational. He wants us to have this fellowship. And that's what John says here. We proclaim Jesus so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He's saying, come and have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with God. We are being loved by God. Come and join us so that you too might have the love of God in your life. Friends, maybe some of you here today are a true C of E person, not Church of England person, but those who go to church on Christmas and Easter. You're very welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. But friends, God wants more of you. God wants more of you. You need more of him. Don't you see what God, what John calls Jesus in verse 2? Life. Eternal life. To have Jesus in your life means to have life. 
eternal life. And eternal life is not just length of time. It's the quality of life. It's quality of that loving relationship that he wants you to have. Jesus is that goodness and beauty and most importantly, love himself. And so I want to make that invitation to all of you. And that spirit of the invitation is the same as the one that John made. We write this, verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. John enjoyed that loving relationship with God. And so he writes this to the church. He lived his life extending this invitation to the world so that they could, have come, they could come and have fellowship with him because that would make his joy complete. You see, that kind of relationship, loving relationship, is so good that it's only completed when you tell somebody else and they accept it. You know, it's the kind of joy that you go, I, I, you need to have this too. That's the, that's the spirit in which John writes this letter, and that's the spirit in which I want to invite you. Come and have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with God the Father and the Son. It would make our joy complete. And let me extend this invitation uh, through the words of uh, George Herbert. It's a, it's a great um, poem as we especially move into the time of communion. Let me read this poem, Love Number 3. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack, from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, but who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Let's pray. Lord, this world is not worthy of you. We are not worthy of you. But because you are love, out of the overflow of your love, you have created us, you have redeemed us, and you long to have fellowship with us. And we pray now for all of us who are gathered here would come to know that great love and taste it and live for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.